Hi, and welcome to Drafting Compliance. I'm Kane, he's Tom, and we were live and in person last time in Texas talking about supply chain risk. I can say the sign arrived from Texas, but I haven't had a chance yet to put it up on the wall. <laughs> Today, we're talking with our special guest, Steve Gentry, a three-time CISO, based on a conversation we had earlier this year at Black Hat, where we talked about how organizations should plan for changes to control design or operation. But before we get to that, we have some uh, we have some funny looking beers. Uh, what are we drinking today, Steve? Ciders. Ciders are so much better than a regular. I, I can't do IPAs. And I listened to these previously, Tom. I know you're an IPA <laughs> fan. But, oh. That's okay. You know, I, I'm all for new experiences. This will be new to me. I think I've had a cider once, believe it or not, and that's it. Um, we could not put align cider in punches. Yeah. I've, I've had, yeah, I've had some mixes with cider. That's for sure. Um, we could right. not align, uh, believe it or not, uh, ciders are even hard to align in three geographies than I think craft beer. I tried all week to get either your incline or your strongbow. So I'm going to be the odd man out today. What do you have in your hand, Steve? Uh, incline it's a Marionberry cider. And I have the same. Uh, what are you drinking today, Tom? Something completely different. This is Cider Boys. It's a peach apple cider. So the 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 idea that there's a cider out there with peach in it was intriguing to me because I do like peach tea. So I thought I'd give that a try. Fair enough. So what do you say we crack our individual drinks? And, and if, if you're a poor guy, pour it. If you're not, drink it however you yeah, like. I hope I'm putting this in the right glass, Tom, because, you know, I've just got this beer sign. sign scent. Oh, it's purple. It's purplish. <laughs> This reminds me already. This is kind of triggering, right? Uh, you remember that pink stuff we drank? Yeah, I do. Episodes ago, a couple of pink things. <laughs> that was just terrible. Well, mine doesn't look anything like yours. Mine looks like yeah, well, it a, smells very, very, very like a very light beer. Yeah, I can see through mine. Um, well, mostly see through it. It's what is you... see my lighting setup. I'm curious it. to hear what yours smells like, Kane. Berries. It smells like berry pie. Um, <laughs> It's not actually a terrible smell, honestly. Like one of my uh, relatives makes a, uh, what is it, a huckleberry pie every year around Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's really tasty. I would best describe what I but, have in my hand as smelling like peach wine. It's got peach that, wine could be all right. It's got it that, could also produce a hangover. Yeah, it's got that real alcohol smell behind the peach, but it's, it's interesting. So you, you, do you have another high test one, Tom, like we did in Texas? Uh, I don't know. I didn't even look what the AB. Oh, this is this only, is this is only yeah, this is 5%. So I'm oh, shoot. I'm gonna You're just going to be sessioning that all day. Uh, Steve, in Texas, I had a 7.5%. <laughs> and let me tell you, some of my diction was lost completely. Um, absolutely <laughs> right. fire. I'm going in. So I'm going in for all a right, taste. Let's, let's all have a try, test of this and see. I like that it fits in my glass. So it's not much of a head. Hmm. Not at all unpleasant. This is, uh, it's effervescent. It's got bubbles to it. So that's this the first thing. flat. Mm. First thing I feel on the, on the tongue is that. Um, almost a little champagne-y, I guess. And then all peach. It actually reminds me a little bit of a Bartles and James wine cooler from before I could actually legally drink. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i almost spit okay. that out that is too funny <laughs> so, yeah that was the the 80s when we were like it was the yeah, yeah night train <laughs> wine coolers 
all the stuff when we were teenagers or like that we could try to get yeah, a little Boone's on. Farm <laughs> here and there. <laughs> cool. And, yep. Oh yeah, Boone's Farm. Yep, keeping it and Strawberry Hill bread one. And uh, yeah, yep, yeah, keeping it real around here. Um, what I'll say about this is, uh, it is it does not taste like it smells. Um, it's sort of sour and kind of tart actually. Um, it also uh, reads kind of flat. This is the best beer I've definitely had this week, possibly this month. Um, also, it's a cider, so yeah, um, yeah. Pretty generous definition. Steve, how is this? Is this kind of meeting your expectations for what it would taste like? You've had this before, right? Yeah, yeah. You're not looking for something that you don't want it to be like a fruit juice. You're not looking for like if it's like a fruit juice and it's a high sugar content. Yeah, it kind of it's. I don't know how to. Right, but that other than that, it's like you're you are looking for something that's gonna have be a little bit flatter, sour. Um, some of the ones you have to be careful of, like on, especially on the apple side, it just feels like it's apple juice, and then you see people pound, drinking them like they're apple juice, and when they're five and a half, six and a half percent, and they're pounding them like apple juice, then you can have some interesting conversations. With yeah, them. <laughs> yeah, you're, it, it is. You're looking for a little bit more of that bitter or tart sense than. Uh, than you would with it. I definitely have some right, Well, tarts. at least it's reading like it should. Yeah, I think a good rule of thumb is if it comes in a beer bottle, you shouldn't pound it. If it has, a, if it comes in a box with a straw, feel free to just drink as much as you like. What if it comes in a box <laughs> with a tap top? I think that's, I think that's different as well. <laughs> All right, well, we will review these towards the end of the episode, but uh, Steve, we're we're glad we have you on today. We were talking to Black Hat before the show. Uh, what was that? Three months ago? It feels like a few years ago, but it was still 2023 Black Hat. Um, and I wanted you to lead off our conversation with some uh, common challenges that organizations face when they're updating or changing their controls to align with FedRAMP requirements. Yeah, so one of the things that makes me chuckle about FedRAMP is I People always put FedRAMP in a category in and of itself. And I try to remind people, FedRAMP is still just a compliance framework. Remember, you're just dealing with a compliance framework. One of the other common mistakes I see people make when either when they're starting off or when they're making changes is they, they, they try and be like politicians. They're trying to attach something to the back of the bill in order to get it slipped through and... and <laughs> um, and, and just convince people, oh, no, no, this, this is, this is, yeah, that's fine. Just nothing to see here. Don't look at the back page, but we're going to do all of these things. So my first recommendation, whenever you're making changes, stick to what the control is. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're always going to have security activities you need to fix. Yes, you're always going to have continual process improvement you need to make. Remember that you're on a continual process improvement path, but be true to what that control means to your organization and stick to that instead of trying to sneak something else in that you've been trying to get engineering to do, or you've been trying to get another organization to take care of at the same time, you're like, oh, well, this is close to, because if you get caught doing that, I mean, the, the heads of these other organizations, they're not idiots. They're, a lot of times they want to see the controls. They want to walk through it. If they think that you're trying to pull a fast one on them, you're, you're harming your relationship. So stick to the controls, pay attention to what you're trying to accomplish, because it is a compliance framework. I'm sure you've said this many times in and of yourself, but compliance is not security. So what are you trying to ac accomplish with this change? What is the end goal of this change? Mm -hmm. It should be an iteration on what you're doing. It should be helping you move along the compliance path. It should be helping you make improvements, 
whether you're baby stepping, sometimes you got bigger changes that you're making along your compliance path or your security program path, but limit the scope to that. And I don't mean that if you don't, if you've got things that are likely aligned or closely aligned that you can't see if you can work through it together, mm-hmm. or if you have complementary changes and you're talking to engineering, like, Hey, this, I know this is outside of FedRAMP, but we've got this other, we've got this other thing that we're working on. If we do this one thing, it will cover both of these controls. So the second thing I would say, find ways to get the biggest bang for your buck by getting wins for your organization, by by able to combine a couple of things if you can. And I know I just said, don't, don't tack on a bunch of stuff. What I'm talking about is don't try and pull a fast one on things, but actually try and combine work. So your engineering thing is getting a two for one or three for one anytime that they can. Um, and Tom, we're probably going through a bit of that right now with the Rev Four to Rev Five updates, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, as we as we look at you know the the healthy list of controls associated with the FedRAMP moderate, you know, you're you're exactly right. D- don't push it through piecemeal. Push it through in bundles so folks understand that this is sort of all encompassing and in they don't have to touch the same application five times, right? So. I think that's really smart. On your point about it's just another compliance framework, the only caveat I would add to that is certainly FedRAMP brings a level of diligence that most folks are not particularly used to having. You know, if you're just a SOC 2 shop or an ISO shop, that's generally an, an annual scramble. Um, with FedRAMP, you're going to see, you know, a monthly Kanman and in you're really going to want to move your operations towards continuous instead of just annual. So I do think there's a little nuance there, but I think you're exactly right. Don't, don't be bewildered by the, by the name FedRAMP. It is just a set of controls and it is just a compliance framework. And just for our viewers there, Tom used the term CONMON. If you look up our old episodes for continuous monitoring, I'm pretty sure we can put a link to that as well. But we've already talked about continuous monitoring and about the perspective that this is not a one and done or done annually, but this is really on a continuous spectrum. It's also why I like to, so typically with organizations I work at, primarily running um, the security programs at SaaS companies. And so... You have your SOC 2 international companies. The international audience always like loves their ISO 27001. So I always stagger. I do my SOC 2 at one point in the year, and then six months later, I'm doing my ISO. So you're in this regular cycle of like, I've got different auditors for each. And it helps you in that continued process improvement. And so if you end up, if you're in that cycle of like, hey, I'm already not doing just a one and done, trying to scramble. If you're looking at these tools, uh, I happen to know one that I've used in the past that happens to do some automated testing and be able to do these, you know, create these links where it's pulling in data for you so you can do it. Just can't, he sounds can't like think of the name off the top of my head. I appreciate that. Yeah, it sounds exactly like us. Been a hyper-proof customer. Like, but this is, this is what I love about the, the current... I started, I'm going to go back and talk a little bit. I started my GRC implementations were Archer. Those were the first implementations I did. Multiple companies, multiple implementations when I was a consultant of implementing Archer. I really love the brand of GRC tools that are out now, uh, like Hyperproof. Um, You've got a couple of competitors out there that I've also seen doing really good things. That it's the focus on like, how much can we automate? How much can we pull in? So you're in that continual process improvement. So if you're already building that program of continual process improvement, if you're already building a tune of continue mo- continually monitoring your things instead of waiting and doing the scramble there, or the bunch ball mentality where it's like watching little kids play soccer 
course, all of your GRC team latching on to HR for a, a couple of weeks just before the auditors show up. I love that vision. Uh, That's which is fantastic. A, yeah. It's a bad way to run the program and you typically piss people off. But with the tools that we have nowadays, this shouldn't be a thing. Like, this is why FedRAMP, I think, is getting easier to implement because we it's been around long enough that tools like HyperProof are making it easier to understand. The GRC world, for the ones who are actually looking at modern GRC programs and not these big behemoths with 11 different components that you don't implement more than two of them, um, but you just spend, I, yeah, I won't. But I also, I, 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 I think FedRAMP also, it's getting easier, but it's still not free. And something else I remember no. you and I chatted <laughs> about at Black Hat was uh, the financial considerations that an organization might face when they're they're making their changes to FedRAMP compliance. Yeah. Um, one of the things else our saw simply we're just talking about GRC tools is, are you using a GRC tool? Does your GRC tool handle FedRAMP compliance component? Mm -hmm. Or are you still running off of spreadsheets? I, I do remember the days that it was like, it was easier to not use Archer and to just use a spreadsheet. Mm -hmm to track my compliance controls. So we were doing the manual mapping of like, okay, well, we're doing, we're doing uh, SOC 2, and this is before SOC 2. We're, yeah, we're, we're doing our SSAE 16 audit, and we've got our ISO audit, and let's map how these controls, and you're going that, and like, okay, well, now we're gonna add FedRAMP in. How does this all map up? And we're doing it through spreadsheet, we're tracking it, we're sending out the spreadsheets to everyone. So GRC tool, if you're not running one, or if you don't have one that has FedRAMP controls, that to me, that's the first one you want. It you do not want to be manually monitoring. Well, yeah, because that's, that's really right. going to drive um, up your labor costs. Exactly. I was just going to make that point, yeah. Kane. You're you're actually saving money generally by implementing a good tool to manage the you know the routine pieces of the compliance uh, march. So I agree. And those routine pieces, of course, are evidence evidence collection, evidence testing, but also just going back to, to um, Steve's point, I was also when I was doing adv executive advisory, I had so many associate consultants spend countless hours doing mapping between, well, I've got PCI and I need to do uh, HIPAA and now I need to do ISO and so many spreadsheets getting binned together. It's nice that that's just that's such a routine thing. Modern tools like Hyperproof can do that automatically and also reuse that compliance evidence. So Steve, as you said, when you do your ISO at uh, the six month mark and you do your SOC 2 at the 12 month mark, you may as well reuse the same evidence you've been collecting as opposed to coming up with some old brand new process, right? That just doesn't make sense yes. from a business perspective. I mean, whether you're talking about IT engineering HR, whoever the organization you're talking to that you need to get evidence out of, if you can come to them, one, if you can automate the process, hallelujah, they will they will name their firstborn child after you to take that off their plate. Or if you can come to them on very limited times, so they're like, okay, this isn't an automated process, we need to collect this, and we've got this data, and you're doing that on a regular basis, or as they're doing their regular jobs, and they can dump data into a folder, and you can just go grab it, and like, hey, I've already got it here, I already had to grab it for ISO, now I've got it for my socks. It, it simplifies. It, you will be the hero of the day. And we always need, like, security often is the bad. Yeah, that's not often the common the thing bad for person. the security department, <laughs> although we are getting away from yeah. being the department of no to finally being a business mm -hmm. enabler. But I love that becoming the hero of the day. Yeah, just find ways that, like, what is that win that you can get for them? Make their life easier because you're going through this audit and then, as you're doing things like that, if you're talking about, hey, I need to, here's the cost if we're doing all of this manually. So you need to, when you're talking cost, you need to be data driven. What's the cost of running this process manually? 
here's the cost of a GRC tool. Here's what we can do. Work with your vendor to help build some of that ROI out there. Like, hey, here's where we can automate these processes, save time. The second piece is how, how mature is your security or compliance organization? If you have a very young organization, if you're running a very small team and you have like one compliance analyst, should you be going and getting an advisor to help guide you through this process and paying a third party company to help consult and help guide you through that process? If you have a more mature organization, they've gone through that FedRAMP process before, they're like, hey, we don't really need to have the, the pre-audit consultant come in. We'll just get the 3PAO and we'll be ready to go. They'll do some work with us and make sure that we're prepared. But like how many companies, it was that cost, going through this previously, that cost of we have our pre-3PAO consultant and then we have our 3PAO cons uh, certification firm that we're going to be working with. We've got to have two of them, one of them prepping us just so we're a lot farther ahead by the time we talk to the 3PAO. But being two different companies, they're going to have different thoughts. And so you're going to be doing some tweaking things. So the consulting costs and the certification process is going to be one of a, a second portion of that that you need to plan. And those are some easy ones because you can go get bids from consulting firms. You can help get that out. Some of the harder costs to understand, um, one is the time suck that is going to be on different departments of the organization as you're going through the control. Mm -hmm. Like if you can narrow it down to like, hey, I think it's going to be this many hours a week. Like get a good project manager. If you're not good at project management, have a project manager assigned walk through that process with them, see if you can build out hours it's going to take uh, so they can figure out how much time impact, because that is a cost because they're sure. taking away from other work, but this is the cost of the company by having resources being allocated to something else. And then lastly, that cost, well, not lastly, I'm sure there's plenty of other things, but one of the other big things that's top of mind for me, so number four is that engineering cost. If you need to modify your product, you need to modify your controls. So those organizations that are monitoring that technology that need to either be updated like hey we're we're running java 6 still <laughs> hopefully not but we'll, maybe java 8 because there's still plenty of companies doing that um you're gonna like we're gonna have to do a bunch of upgrades to our system to be able to modify and do things that we need to do to meet these controls and being clear about what the control is that you're trying to accomplish again don't don't try to pull the bull over their eyes. Don't try and backdoor stuff in on this one, but be clear, like, this is why we're trying to accomplish this. This is what we need to do in order to meet this control set. If this doesn't happen, the 3PAO won't be able to get us through. So what do we need to modify about our environment? I think that's, um, and even yeah, when, say, I think that's really smart. I mean, I think <clears throat> a lot of folks that are familiar with compliance frameworks walk in and they think this is another SOC 2 exercise. So they start to frame their cost structure uh, around SOC 2. I've seen that at the leadership level. You need somebody to come in and really educate what it means to go through FedRAMP and make sure they understand that, you know, where you're used to paying $20,000, $25,000 a year on SOC 2, you're, you're really talking about a number that is many times multiplied just to get the consulting that you need for, for FedRAMP. Additionally, you need to understand that because of the continuous monitoring piece of this, you have to implement your controls in a different way than you're used to implementing. And that means a burden on your operations teams, your engineering teams, to your point, and, and set probably 70% of those controls sit in those folks' hands. They don't sit in the security team's hands. It sits in their hands to implement. It sits in our hands to monitor. 
So I'm also thinking of our recent episode, Tom, where we talked about supply chain risk. And I, I, when I'm thinking about costs and I'm thinking about control changes, um, Steve, how would organizations work with their third-party vendors to ensure that any changes in their controls aren't going to comp uh, um, compromise their FedRAMP compliance? Yeah, so this is, I, I talked about this recently. Uh, I'm going to do a shameless plug for a video that I put out a couple of weeks ago about third-party risk management. Because I think we've lost our way on it. We, we've been trying to offload all of the risk and responsibility through our vendors and not taking the responsibility in-house. Um, so when we're looking at that, we should be able to map out what that risk is from those vendors. If we've already done that due diligence process, um, one, it's having the conversation, making your vendors. And if you do anything in Europe and you've got privacy related, you're going to, you should know what all your sub processes are off the top of your head. These are your key components that are helping run the product that you need to go have the conversation with. Hey, we're heading down the FedRAMP path. Be clear. You're not telling your vendors that they need to go get FedRAMP certified. I, as someone on the, the other end of that, I had multiple people going, oh, well, you need, we're, we're selling to the federal government. You need to be. FedRAMP, like we're your revenue tool. We're, we're not being used by the government. We don't. And so I had to like actually get the, the um, GSA FedRAMP office involved and on the conversation with this vendor who kept telling me like, hey, we're going to cancel our contract if you don't get FedRAMP certified. Mm -hmm. So be clear about what your ask is for them, but give them the heads up that this is the path we're going down. And if there's any changes to be made, you're, you're mapping that out. So include that early on in your project process to have those conversations that you're doing your own risk assessment on that vendor yourself. So if you do have concerns, you do have issues that you need are gonna have to go back and have the conversation with them on that you're going back. One of the things I would put out there that is the risk that is often overlooked is that hidden, not hidden access, but often untalked about access that your SaaS vendor has to your data. So if you're running a product and you have SaaS vendors that you're using, most of them for the purposes of like um, bug fixes or customer support, whether it's something that they have to request access from you or that they are automatically have it and you just have to tell them like, hey, look into those things on those tools. Most SaaS vendors have some way of getting to your data behind the scene. Mm -hmm. Beware of that fact. Think about what that impact is. Is it controlled by you? Do they have to get access? Uh, when I was at Workfront, we had to our support people when they were working on a ticket and they needed to get into the customer instance, they had to put it in a request through the tools admin console. An admin of the instance had to click accept and they defined how long they were given access mm -hmm. for. It was a time bomb token and then they were granted access. They could do what they need to do and then it was done. Um, you have other vendors that it's not like that. They just have access. So be be aware of what your third-party vendors, what access your third-party vendors have into that data because you may have now created a nice, lovely backdoor if you're now putting, you're running a SaaS product and you've got government data in there, but yet you have this third-party who can access that data without your knowledge. Those are some of the big things as you're thinking about your sub-processors, your third-party vendors. It's... Be aware, do your own due diligence. Don't make it their problem. Do your own due diligence to figure out what the risk they provide to your organization and then go find out some of that access piece because it's to me, that is one of those most most skipped discussions that ever happen in SaaS software. Great. 
definitely. How do you have access to yeah, my great, data? Great point. Tom, there's a lot of nuance there. Wow. Yeah, th I mean, you, you said a lot in a little bit there, Steve. So I just want to pack a couple things. You know, it's interesting to think about uh, your vendors in the context of your security boundary. And I think that's really what you're getting at when you said there's there's some vendors that don't need to, to walk with you along your FedRAMP journey. But there's certainly vendors that will need to do that. It's really dependent upon the boundary that you've set. And the way I think about it in FedRAMP is if you are a sub-processor within the boundary, you better be FedRAMP moderate if you're going for moderate yourself. Um, we certainly have instances in our boundary where we have to replace vendors because of that. But for instance, if if your to your point, your revenue uh, platform is not is not integrated into your platform and not in boundary, there's no reason to go after that. I've had that same discussion several times where where folks in in our own RevOps organization were worried that those products needed to move to FedRAMP moderate, and I can clearly de denote with a nice drawing where that line sits and why those <laughs> those products are not within scope. So I think that was really smart, and I just wanted to kind of outline uh, I think where the nuance sat. Yeah, definitely yeah. there. And if you're enjoying this conversation on YouTube, uh, ring the bell to get notifications about my quest to find literally any beer that's drinkable or subscribe to this in your podcast app of choice to make this part of your monthly routine. So, <coughs> so Steve, I had a couple last questions before we wrap for the day. And I wanted to ask how organizations can assess the potential impacts associated with uh, changing a control and really what factors they should consider during their decision making process. And this is where I'm going to go back to, and, and Tom, I'm 100% agree with you. It, I'm going to re, restate my statement of FedRAMP is a compliance framework. Keep that in mind as you're going through this. It's just like if you're, whether you're modifying SOC, whether you're modifying ISO, FedRAMP, it's that same mindset. Be thoughtful of the impact that it has. And yes, like I always tell people in organizations like, hey, should we go get FedRAMP? I'm like, hey, do you want a million dollar buy-in to start <laughs> off with? Because that's just, I mean, that's just the mindset you got to start off with. Of like, expect about a million bucks and it's going to grow from there as we do more of our due diligence. So as you're looking at that, that control framework, as you're looking about modifying controls, um, this is one of those things that's, it's, I would say it's probably one of the least mature processes of any GRC program is we look at things about how we're getting compliant and we'll go through and we'll do those steps, but we don't often pay attention through the time, which is why I started doing the, the offset of my compliance um, audits coming in and out is we make changes throughout the year. Your, your company is going to continue growing. If you're in hyper growth mode, um, some of those companies out there, there's a, a vendor out there that, that grew so fast that they actually made it in the Guinness Book of World Records. I'm sure you know the vendor that I'm talking about um, in the security space here. Can you imagine how much of their business changed in that year to be able to support that growth? Is your one of these hyper growth companies that Clary growth? We were pre into the pandemic and this has changed recently as the economy is the we had the economic downturn and hit the recession. Like we were at 67% growth year over year. It was just we were adding resources. We were adding customers. We were adding people. We had. We went from I was at uh, employee two sixty five, um, and then we hit employee eight hundred like a year and a wow. half later, and just and so you're you're at this at this point where you're you've got so many more people involved in the process. So I know this is very rambling on this aspect, but it's one of these things when you're looking at your, at change controls, whether you need to change the control 
or whether you need to go back and assess whether controls have changed. It's because it's not just because, hey, we FedRAMP came out and went from Rev 4 to Rev 5. It's how is your business functioning? Mm-hmm. Are you still doing the things the same way today as you were six months ago? Or if you're really good fast growth, like three months ago, a month ago, like how many people are now in this process? You say, oh, well, we only have four admins who have access to this. Well, that was great when you had a company of 200. Now you have a company of 1,000 and you've got 12 or you've got 20. Or they started doing these things like I've come into companies and like, oh, well, when we started off, we created a profile for engineers and this is the access we got. That's great. We're now several hundred employees into it and all engineers are still getting the same access as the first employees. Oh boy. And so they all like, they, they have access to everything. Yeah. And so he's like, oh, who's got, who's, who's got root access to the DBs? Uh, well, that's 220, at, 220 engineers including the brand new first year right out of uni engineers who never actually worked in a real job or never actually worked at a job. But now some, for some reason we've given them, we've given them full. Yeah, I've always said a good, a good measure um, is does your CEO still have admin rights in your active directory or your no. <laughs> office 365 instance, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely not a uh, best practice. And I think that's the, the last question I want to ask Steve and maybe Tom, you've got some perspective on this too, because uh, we've discussed like some things that you should not do. And I think that's important, but I, I want to pivot that and say, if there are any best practices you can share for organizations that are looking to adjust their control design uh, to meet new or to meet updated FedRAMP criteria. Yeah, best practices, I think I'd go back to some of the conversations we had of bundling. Mm-hmm. What it, Looking at the way, especially with uh, the way Rev5 moved, where it started bundling some of these controls. What are you bundling internally that you can go make change? You can make processes simple. The KISS model, keep it simple, stupid. Like how much of our compliance framework, and this is why I, I highly recommend tools, mm-hmm. like using a GRC tool, helping automate this process for you as much as it can, keeping your team from doing things because one of those best practices is keeping the going with the kiss model. Like how do we bundle this together to get, achieve these controls in the easiest way possible? Don't, don't complicate it. Just keep it simple. Like help these people have a win in their life. Stop being the, yeah, be the hero of the day by having things where you're taking stuff off of people's plate. So how can you bundle some of these controls? to simplify it for the control owners and give them back time. Because as you're doing things like that and they see that you actually give a crap about their job and you're not just coming in like, oh, you need to do this because security said so because of FedRAMP, because of FedRAMP. Mm-hmm. The other piece of that is going along with that same statement is I try and keep the compliance aspect mm-hmm. out of it. I tie it back to a business objective Smart. that we're trying to accomplish, a business, how we're trying to grow the business. So I don't say we're doing this because of FedRAMP. I don't say we're doing this because of ISO or SOC, SOC 2. It is, we're doing this because we need to continually improve our business. As we're growing, we've got bigger customers. They have higher expectations of us. So as we improve our business and we're moving along this path, here's some things we need to adjust and improve upon. Here's some of the things that our customers are asking for and expecting out of us. And turning it into a revenue discussion and a business growth discussion, not a complaint. I think that's really smart, Steve. You know, the, the point I'd make is, you know, when you think about the KISS model, s- sometimes what is what is thought of as simple is not. Manual processes are very rarely simple, and they're often, you know, kind of wrought with mistakes or potential for mistakes. 
So one of the things I always say is if, you, if you're designing a new control, design automation into the control as much as possible. If you can, if you can take out the human element, not only do you speed up the process, make it more efficient, you cut the cost in it as well over the long haul. So um, you know, anything I can do to remove the potential for human mistake and the need for human intervention, I'm going to do that when I design my control stack. Um, of course, there's always going to be pieces you can't automate, but the, to the extent that you can automate it. Yeah, and I love that this is also a conversation about business and cybersecurity being a business enabler, not about compliance for compliance sake or FedRAMP because FedRAMP, but actually this is tied back to a material objective that the company has agreed to work towards because as we've said, is I think throughout this series, there's some cost here. And um, I really do appreciate the perspective, especially now that Rev4 is out and Rev5 is in, um, this is a very timely conversation for us to have on how to update our controls. But with that, um, I think we're supposed to be doing cider reviews next at the Yours end of this. Yours looks pitifully drunken, Kane. It doesn't even look um, like you've sipped it. Did you say drunken, Tom? I think that's an official word. <laughs> Done drunken. I think drunken is a new official word from you. Five point what percent you said? It's only five. Yeah, I should I should have a lunch every time before I drink. But yeah. uh, I just want to compare. I mean. You know, I've touched my. Uh, this is a kind of about normal, but usually I also take a sip. So why don't you start in on your review, and I'll, I'll try another sip and see so, how this has changed over time. So I'll say this. this: so I'm drinking something different. I'm drinking Peach Country by Cider Boys. You know, it's very interesting. I'm going to stick with my, uh, you know, initial review, and that's this tastes a lot like a Bartles and James did back in the '80s. Um, so those who are listening that uh, know that taste, you'll be familiar with it. It's not unpleasant to drink. Neither were the Bartles and James back in the day. It's still not as interesting to me as as a as a beer or you know to my to my palate as an IPA. But this is easy to drink. It's not hard to drink. It's something that if you know I'm over at somebody's house and they offer it to me, I'm not going to say no. I mean, it tastes like peach and apple. It's not it's not hard to drink at all. I would get you know, Kane. I would probably give this a five because I'm not going to go seek it. But it's certainly drinkable. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, Tom, you and I are coming to a, uh, even though we're drinking completely different things, um, I will say this, the flavor profile on this has not changed. It reminds me, uh, funny enough, um, kind of reminds me of a, a, a very light red wine with a fruit, like a, a berry bouquet, um, in that it's not really carbonated. It's a little bit sour. There's a little bit of bitterness there. There's not a lot of depth going on, so not a high tannin count if I was to be thinking of this as a red wine. Um, I'm going to put this in at a five. It is inoffensive. It's not terrible. I certainly, like you, would not seek it out, but um, Steve, I want to thank you for suggesting it, as this is probably one of the better beers that I've had on the show, even though it is a cider. Um, Steve, how are you going to rate this one on a 10-point scale? Well, I'm just glad that I could ever, for the first time in my life, be associated with the word inoffensive. <laughs> so this is, I mean, usually if it's in a different connotation, if I'm, if inoffensive is used in me and it's that I'm not, but, um, yeah, so it's, it, to me, it, 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 a little bit fruitier than I would go for. Um, but still I, yeah, I'm, I'm higher on the ciders. So I would put this closer or doing it on yep. a scale of 10, scale of 10. Uh, to me, it would, it, to me, it's more of a seven. a seven. Okay, fantastic. Two fives and a seven. And that's all for today. If you think you know a beer I'd like, or if you have a FedRAMP question, drop it in the comments below. And remember to like our LinkedIn and YouTube pages to hear live interviews with information security professionals. With that, Steve, thanks so much for joining Tom and I today. And I uh, really enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you. Pleasure meeting you, Tom. And it's great to see you again, Steve. Thank you. Thank you.